Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast. Two Enthusiast Podcast. It might be a new year, but it's the same cat jokes. <laughs> so Quentin, this is our first show of 2017. Congratulations on making another uh, revolution around the sun, sir. Oh, yeah. Thank God for the Gregorian calendar. Yay. You're not, you're not, a, you're not a New Year's person, I take it? You're I, making any resolutions, any like... No. Nothing. I made a bunch of resolutions in September, and that's working for me. So I don't go by arbitrary random days. You don't just pick a no pick a thing. Because I mean, like, I mean, like, I know you. You you could use some self improvement. (laughs) You're you're not your perfect self. No, no, I'm not. But (laughs) I appreciate that. That's good. Like, it takes a true friend to be like, hey, listen, buddy. There's a there's a few resolutions. I'm pretty sure you need to work on things. Let's let's start with your wardrobe and work our way down. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that van life has it's been rough. Yeah, yeah, it has been. Um, so I didn't. It, it's obviously it's it's winter. Uh, it's balls cold here in Portland. It is Im- impressively bitter cold. This is the one time I will let Portlandians complain about the weather because it wow. is it is. It didn't get above freezingly cold. It did not get above freezing today, and it was a sunny day. That is yeah. rare here and windy. Windy, windy, windy. Yeah. Like, like it said, feels like 23, and it certainly did. Yep, yep. So hopefully uh, everyone's bikes are tucked into nice, warm, heated garages. The fuel stabilizer is flowing. The battery <laughs> tenders are charging. I don't want the fuel stabilizer to flow at all. I want it to create the layer on top of it that keeps oxygen from getting to the fuel. Okay, so I wasn't planning on talking about this, but that's interesting because I, I didn't actually know how that worked. That is... It, it's, it, it's like a barrier to it, the air? It, it floats to the top, apparently, or at least one of the types did, where it floats to the top and creates a barrier between the air and, and the fuel. Yep. So it floats... You know what I mean? It, uh, I, I don't, guess I never really thought about like what I actually... Th- thought it did other uh-huh. than stabilize the it fuel. It stabilizes, sure. Yeah, I didn't know either until someone brought that up to me. I have never used fuel stabilizer. I've you never, thought you've never had to. Have that's you? not true. I live back east. Oh, yeah? I never had an issue. Never had an issue with the fuel come springtime. When was the first... When, when have you owned a carbureted bike? Uh, my first bike was carbureted. What was it? The F2. Yeah. But that was Santa you, Barbara. You, that was, yeah, you can't, right? Sure. But that, those were really bad. My F2, the pilot jets in that era of Honda would, they, if you just think about them wrong, they will get plugged up. They're really, really teeny pilot jets and they dip into the, the bowl just enough to be, they'll get the fuzz. It's a bad deal. So, um, yeah, that's usually the problem. Bad gas or gas that has gone bad in a fuel injected engine, it might, it just will run poopily. That is a word, poopily. Poopily. Um, that'll it'll run poopily for until you run the gas out. Generally, some of the newer bikes that have adaptive systems, it'll fuck with it because it's trying to run on this poopy gas, and it it's probably throwing a lot of the uh, systems out of whack because it's like, hey, I'm doing this with this, and all these sensors are showing this and this, but the it's creating this. And truth be told, though, like I've never I've never had an issue with old fuel. I don't get. Like I know people that would go to certain gas stations because they were under the impression that the fuel there, the rate of them, you know, going through yep. their tanks and all that sure. was was quick enough that that would make a difference in their world. And I just kind of sit there and I was like, I just, I feel like there's so many myths about gasoline and fuel and how it relates to motorcycles. Like that should be a show. 
that mark that down as a show that we should do for 2017 all right well we'll think about it we won't go we won't delve any deeper into that no. into now but i'm with you yeah i have had fuel i'm glad you're not in, against me no definitely not together we are stronger <laughs> but uh if we if we were stronger then we'd run Would that be like a twosome no <laughs> it certainly wouldn't be handsome no it wouldn't be handsome at all <laughs> that'll make more sense than the optics <laughs> <laughs> all right so fuel we'll get to but I, yeah, I've had good luck with fuel that has been sitting for years and years and years. The one time that I, I really was like, okay, that's not that bad was, um, starting up a Ducati Supermono that had been sitting for seven years. And it was one of the first things I worked on at Moto Sizz. It was a bike that Sizz Michael, um, and his buddies had raced and then they'd mothballed it. And this is a weird, rare motorcycle, right? Really strange vehicle. And we got it sorted out and started it and i think we had drained the tank but there was fuel inside the fuel we rail didn't drain the swamp yeah we didn't drain the swamp and it's it started right up and i and it smelled weird for a second and then it then it cleared out and ran it was i was like okay it, fuel can sit as long as it's not um exposed to the elements I, I, for quite a while and i think it's okay but it depends on the fuel it depends on the where it was how how much fuel is in the thing yeah, there's a lot of factors. So, okay, let's uh, start it off. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna talk about with this show? Yeah. So, so. Oh wait, well, you know what you're gonna talk about first. You're gonna talk about how the people need to make sure to do their clicks take, on your take website. It away. Why don't, why don't no, you? No, I'm not. Do, I'm why not good you at do it. some fucking work around here for a change? <laughs> I'm not good at it because you're the one that always does it. So you're gonna. Have I to know. Say it. I'm. I'm trying to delegate. Well, I the delegation should be. Lazy. Hey, you need to remind me because that's lazy, what I just did. You're lazy welcome. man. You're welcome. How are those show notes coming along? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, definitely our listeners should be following us on Facebook, following us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. And if you follow the show on SoundCloud, SoundCloud's a pretty cool platform. You can leave comments at the timestamps and say, Quentin, you should, you know, stop being a lazy sack and help Jensen out with the show, like right around this timestamp. That'd be cool. If you listen to the show on iTunes, you should definitely comment and rate the show because that helps uh, a vast majority of our listeners and would-be listeners find the show in iTunes' crazy search algorithm. What else? What else? What else? What else? Sign up for A&R Pro because my future kids need to go to college. <laughs> and... Um, yeah. That's good. Okay. There was, I would say, there was one gentleman, I assume it's a gentleman, I could be wrong, uh, that posted up on iTunes and said, motorcycle, motorcycle kicks, or was it motorcycle, motorcycle cat jokes, which was what we had asked people to to write last time. <laughs> yeah. So, so right. thank okay. you for, for taking us literally on that. Okay. All uh, right. Yeah. So, so since it is kind of a wintry time of year and things are slow, I, and we obviously had a arbitrary turning of the calendars i wanted to review the last 365 days with you yeah just so happens that it's uh it's the timely thing to do but you know it's it's kind of a trite thing and i and i kind of feel bad for for doing it but like i was looking back at some of the stuff that happened in 2016 and like some of it i forgot and i was like oh that's right oh yeah so yeah. we got to talk about like some stuff let's um, revisit let's let's take a stroll down memory lane so i want to start off with some of the the top bikes that came out last year and I think this list is going to surprise you. Okay. Like, I want you to like visualize what you think were the top bikes on A&R for 2016. 
I'm about to blow your mind. All right. So for me, I'll just say the ones that I just in my head popped out. I only did three because I was like, what bikes kind of popped in my head is something that was significant. Yeah. Um, the Africa Twin, I, I don't, for me, I was like, that's an interesting bike. And Absolutely. That, that created a lot of buzz. Absolutely. I don't know how it sold though. It'd be interesting to find out how it sold. I'm sure they sold out, but they had a huge issue. So that was one of the things that came out was the earthquake yeah. in Japan. Big time. Really messed up the production yeah. schedule. So sure. only, I want to say they were, they were shooting for 10 or 12,000 in the US and I'm pretty sure they sold out on it. But um it happened late and a lot of it people happened were late really, and it really pushed the bike late into the season late summer yeah which was really unfortunate but i think when you look at how devastating the earthquake was to that area and it was multiple quakes wasn't it well there was one there was definitely one major one but i think there was a what they're calling an aftershock was still like seven or six on the richter scale like it's still a sizable movement yeah sure and then obviously there's a lot of um, smaller and the Richter scale is an exponent, so right. And once you get up past six, they're all really it's bad. No, yeah, it's no fucking around. Uh, I went through Loma Prieta was seven point two, I believe, seven point nine, something like it was. Was in the that sevens. the one in the early nineties? That was the Bay Bridge falling down. Yeah. Um, we've had a few as a California resident. I've had a few. I managed to escape that, but I'm waiting for the big one up here. They talk about the big one up here. I feel like it's a bunch of BS. I don't think it's BS, but I. What are I you mean, gonna do? I mean, I right? bet I bet we have one, but I sit there like, I feel like earthquakes for anyone that doesn't live in earthquake country, like earthquakes are terrifying. Like yeah, I talk sure. to people from Florida about earthquakes, like, oh yeah, I couldn't live out there, man. Those earthquakes. Yeah, sure. I'm like you live in a state where on a routine basis, like one to five hurricanes come through and just knock everything <laughs> over on a yearly basis. Your yeah. shit's going to get screwed up. Like we have an earthquake earthquake every decade or so. Maybe. And now everything's built seismically and you yeah, know, yeah, we sure. figured a lot of stuff out and even like the bad ones really weren't that bad. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's nature's roller coaster. Just deal with it. Yep. All right. So, so, that- so yeah, I think you're right. The Africa twin was not one on my list. All right. Fair enough. But, but very, good bike yep and and worthy of talking and about worthy. as a bike that came yeah. out in 2016 that that shook up some shit That's because gonna... it was the adventure touring bike that wasn't a, an obnoxious amount of stupid horsepower that's absolutely fucking useless right yeah. it was a reasonable well, bike right? I, I mean i i like the i think i think all bikes should have 155 horsepower yeah i know you do but i i disagree and i would like, i'd say that bike was probably i need to ride it i haven't even ridden it but i like the idea that the bike doesn't have an excess amount of power. It has suited to the bike. I'm good with that. Yeah. So I can't wait to ride one someday. We got to figure that out. Maybe Chris Johnham can help us out. Hey, Chris. We love you, man. We love you. Hey, buddy. All right. So the R6. He's probably listening to us and like, no, no, not that Quentin guy. No, sure. Those cat jokes. (laughs) R6. The fact that they finally, even though it was kind of an iterative change, yeah. but it was needed pretty bad. The R6 is going to... The, the R6 got like a little bit of a pass for me just because it wasn't a bike that like desperately needed a changing. Like it, the R6 is the top selling super sport. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you're number one. You're just going to kind of like you're changing the bike to make sure you continue to be number one. Whereas like the Honda, you're like, you're really not number one anymore. Yeah, right? Like yeah. you needed to bring out your A game and you didn't. Although I am looking forward to riding that bike soon. Fair enough. Okay, so then there's that. And then the, Z- the popularity in general from the racing standpoint of the ZX-10R, yeah. I thought was of note because uh, a lot of the racers that I knew, and I think it's mainly because the Kawasaki won after uh, contingencies for club racing he- heavily. Yeah. 
that that bike was in, at least in my space, quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, it was a big deal. So that's good. Interesting. All those bikes not on my list. Okay. Uh, I think you're right about the Cowie. I think, I think there's two things going on there. I think you touched on the contingency that absolutely has to, uh, has to be mentioned and be a part of it. But also understand too that it's one of the few Japanese super bikes or just one of the few super bikes in general that's been updated recently. The 2015 update was sizable. It wasn't an all new bike, but they made some really good changes to what was it? 20, 2011. 2011, 2013 was when they redid the whole new bike. I think it was 2011. So, you know, kind of, kind of, yeah. What are you, what are you going to pick? What are you going to pick sure. over it? Like the R1 is pretty interesting now, but I still think the 10R can, can hold a candle to it. Uh, especially depending what race parts you're working with and sure. with contingencies sure. that might make financial sense on the business side of, of yeah. amateur racing. If you're doing if club racing, you're trying to go faster on a racetrack. It's obviously a good weapon. It's a it, good bike. I was, I rode, I spent a lot of time on it at Laguna Seca or earlier last year when I was doing the Pirelli tire thing. Yeah. Really impressed with that bike. Like it's a good bike. No, for package. me, I get bored with four cylinder in lines and even the Yamaha, which is a conventional four cylinder in line. It's, for me, they're kind of like meh, but the, um, I, I like twins straight up. I, I'm, 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 I don't make any, I hear what you're saying. So I, I don't, saying. I don't really care. It's not something I go out and buy, but if you put a gun to my head and said, go buy a four cylinder inline, that would be the first one I go to for sure. Right now. I think, I think I agree with you, but when I get on my R1 track bike or like when I was at Laguna on the, on the 10 R like there is a little bit of like, uh, I get back and I'm like, Oh yeah, this is really different. And this is kind of, so there's something very enjoyable because of how smooth those bikes are. What, the Yamaha? Uh, oh, well, I'm thinking in my mind right now, I'm thinking about my the Cowie. But even when I get on my Yamaha, it's very smooth. Now, granted, the, the new R1 I find to be really harsh. Um, but then again, I was riding Shane Turpin's bike that had a bunch of craziness on it. So I don't know what a stock one's really going to compare to. But yeah, I do can't... enjoy... I do enjoy the the inline four power plant on the racetrack, but it's a very different enjoyment than how I enjoy a V twin. Yep. Does that make sense? Sure. So um, that being said, I think that's a good segue because the number one bike on ANR last year was the Yamaha FZ10. Okay, so out of all, you're saying as far as searched or as, clicked? As far as yeah, as, as far as what was getting traffic, what people were interested in, what people were commenting on, what what was getting landed on and hit on. I have like four or five stories about the FC10, MT10, and they're like in the top 15 of the the stories on AMR. Huh. Okay. Very interesting. Why do you think that is? I think, one, I think it looks ridiculous. And I think, you know. That was polarizing. People. Which creates clicks. People love it. And people hate it. And people love to hate it. And so they're going to show up and they want to yeah. be a part of that conversation. But two, I think when you take a substantial superbike platform and make the street bike version of it, uh, the FZ1 is an incredibly popular motorcycle. It has a very loyal fan base, and this is something that's kind of replacing it. So you're kind of tapping into those those guys. You're kind of tapping into the sport bike guys. And quite frankly, you know, I rode it at um, Tail of the Dragon. It's a good bike for the price they're putting it at too. It's a really good bike. So what is the price again? Thirteen? Are you going to make me look that up seriously? Oh, dude, you're gonna you're talking about it with superlatives. It's like. <sighs> I, 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 think. I don't know, but I know you're handsome. <laughs> yeah, it's thirteen. It's it's twelve nine nine nine. Okay, so for that much money, you get a um, a thousand cc naked super bike with just kind of detuned, but not heavily. 
The biggest problem I remember you talking about was brakes. Didn't like the brakes. Uh, it has a cross-plane crank, right? Cross-plane okay, crank. So it, it is from the motor. The motor it really hasn't been that that changed. I mean, like I should take that back in a way because it obviously makes power very differently. Um, but mechanically, very very similar. Sure. If it's got different cams, different cam timing, right. different power band, right. okay. There's but some, as far there's as some the, stuff in the head, but sure. But as far as it, but the the fact that it makes a difference on a normal inline. Here, here's the thing that's really interesting about this bike, and this is why I think what pushed it to the top. When you go in, you look at the comments, and you look people, and what kind of bikes they're comparing it to, they're not comparing it to other Japanese motorcycles. Hmm. They're comparing it to Tuonos, KTM to Street Super Fighters, Duke. to Super Dukes. Oh, okay. They're putting it in a category that is, you know, more sophisticated, more expensive. You know, all those, like I said, all those superlatives. And I think that FC10 compares extremely well. It doesn't quite have all the features. It doesn't quite have all the power, but I think it compares really well on price and performance. Like what bang for buck. It, 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 it is by far the pick when it comes to bang for buck. Do I like the 1290 Super Duke R more? Absolutely. Do I want to spend the extra f- fuck? I mean, if we're talking MSRP, we're talking five grand. Yeah, sure. Get the F out of here. Sure. Um, so I think that's where it's really exciting. And I think that was one of the bikes too, that helped kind of cement in, cause we'd, we'd seen some movement in the street fighter category. We've seen some kind of like naked bike resurgence. And I think this is a model that will look back maybe at the end of 2017 and say, that was the, the cornerstone model that really opened up this segment again for OEMs and to, to get excited about because we'd seen a couple inklings coming in. The Tuono has kind of been the same for a while. The Super Duke's been kind of the same for a while. Ducati doesn't really have a street fighter anymore. This mm, comes monster in. Monster 1200R. How much is a Monster 1200R though? So, you know, it yeah, comes back to that point. whole thing. Um, so it, it's interesting. It's an interesting bike. And the Monster 1200R, frankly, the, the monster for this coming year that's a standard has pretty much all of the stuff of the Monster 1200R. Makes it closer. Yeah, so... But I mean, even then, like, I really don't look at the Monster as uh, a Street Fighter. I really don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah. Not my favorite bike. Yep. I think... You haven't ridden the R, have you? Yeah, I have. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I rode it on... Actually, I rode it at Laguna. Um, it was fun. It was fun. I had a good time on it. It's definitely the best of all the monsters. It's great to see that Ducati's making those changes for the 2017 model year for it because those were good changes that those bikes needed. I just there's just something about I've never been a fan of the monster line. I know we I know we talk about Ducatis a lot. Like that is like the one Ducati I just don't have any resonance with. I'm just not that guy. Okay. So sure. Same here. I to be honest with you, over the years, the original monster was rad. After that, meh. I don't hate the bike. It's just, it's just not my meh. jam. It's sure. like when I hopped on, like when I had the 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 Victory Octane. Not my jam. Not 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 what I'm into. Not what I would go out and buy with my money. Enjoyed it, but you know, yeah. Not I am not its core target no. demographic. Sure. So I would ask you to guess the second motorcycle on the list, but I don't want to like <sighs> devote Man. that much time to it. Okay. But I will say it is a scooter. Oh. The yep. Honda X80V, the little off-road scooter. How oh, weird. And I had like I I didn't really think about it and I almost forgot that it came out. And then I found the story. I'm usually pretty good about remembering like like the headlines and the stories, right? Yeah, and I sure. totally forgot this one. This the headline is 
Honda X80V, a scooter you didn't know you wanted. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But that's a cool little bike. I would rock one of those. If sure. I had to rock a scooter, I'd rock one I of those. I guess this is the one that has long travel suspension. Long travel suspension, uh, knobby tires, weighs more than the Africa Twin. <laughs> that's the kicker. Huh? It weighs like 500 and something odd pounds. What? How big is the engine? Uh, it's the 750cc engine that's on the Integra. It's on the NC750. You said Integra, like Acura. So in the U, in the <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was like the that, confusing thing when it came out in the European market. They call it the Integra. Okay, that's um, cool. Although they have to do that, or the you know all these manufacturers, they once they get a name like that, they try and yeah. use it in different spots because it's yeah. like, hey, we've trademarked the shit out of this yeah, thing. This is ours now. All right, 524 pounds. that's a big scooter yeah that doesn't make a lot of sense for me that's where it kind of lost me and i think that's where it lost a a lot of people i don't know if it lost a lot of people but i think the people that did lose that's where you're just kind of what is it called again the x80v wow i don't even remember it and i have to look it up really because like they teased this for a long time this was a long one coming out and that might be why it tips so high on the scales is because we had a lot of stories about it okay um but it's kind of a weird little thing i Honda does this weird kind of crossover thing. Like a lot, they have a lot of models that are just kind of straddling different segments. And I think it's them trying to find the next big thing and be at the ground floor of it. So like, like we saw that with the, uh, NMH4, that, you know, Akira looking bike. And they literally have you a mean bike. The Batmobile bike? The Batmobile bike, okay. yeah. And then, you know, we're kind of seeing it with this, with this, uh, scooter here. I think you can make a strong argument that the VFR 1200F, it's kind of one of those bikes that kind of sits oddly between two segments. Yeah, sure. And that was kind of the start of it. Um, so it's it's an interesting machine. Uh, I'll be curious to see if it comes to the U.S. I'd be, I'm, I'd, I'd rock that for a day. Yeah, sure. You so know, would I. Just uh, to see I, what's up. See what's about. Just so I can hate on it because I hate scooters. <laughs> Get your <laughs> hater aid on. What else do I have down here? Oh, this is one that comes from the, almost the end of the year, uh, a late arrival. The uh, Prilia RSV4R FWGP. Yeah, we just talked about this thing. Did we? Yeah. I don't even remember. Yeah, we did. Okay. Because it was just like, yeah, we made fun of the fucking alphabet soup name yet again. It's like the same old, same old, right? Yeah, that's tough. They should just call it like the Aprilia Giant Penis. <laughs> like just like that and then like hashtag giant penis like get rid of the get rid of the hashtag be racer and just hashtag giant penis is that their hashtag is be a racer bike has the hashtag on it that's the thing <laughs> be a racer be a racer yeah buy or, a or bear i'm not sure what it, it's either be a racer or bear acer i can't <laughs> i can't tell because there's no spaces bear acer. punctuation matters yeah bear acer but I think, I, I, I guess I forgot that we'd talked about it. It's been so long since I've seen you and mm-hmm. enjoyed your company. Yeah, You're sure. so handsome. Mm-hmm. So handsome. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, uh. <laughs> um, so I won't, I won't spend too much more time on it. I just think it's really cool that they're offering so, yeah, sure. that, that kind of stuff. Because we to talked about it relative to the KTM. Um when they were talking about bringing out the KTM of uh, as a oh that's right a, as a consumer product, you know what that is? I haven't actually edited that show yet. 
Oh, okay. That's why we I literally just talked. We That's, literally just. Then talked it was about just it then. the last yeah. one, yeah. but it's been a few weeks because yeah, Christmas I, time. Until we rubber stamp that show done, it's not actually in my. Memory. Okay. All right. Well, then I can. That's my I'll excuse. give you a pass on that one. All right. Good. I appreciate that. Merry fucking Christmas. Okay. Merry fucking Christmas. Um, trying to get pricing on that. I think it's going to be expensive, but not as expensive as you think. I think like low one hundreds ish. Like if even that, like might even be like 90 K or something. So that's, that's kind of crazy when you think about it. Oh, <clears throat> I was trying to find X 80 V like eight zero. Oh. And I just Why found would you, I don't want to know what you found. I don't want to know car shit. I don't know. You, you, Honda. I don't X80. want you searching that on my Wi-Fi, man. The FBI starts showing up and being like, listen, you have some geriatric porn? I'm like, no, <laughs> no sir. No, no. That would be my handsome I friend. <laughs> I, I have not even would have thought of that <laughs> with the 80 thing. Oh, man. Octogenarian porn. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good at all. I don't like that. Everyone needs love, man. Uh, Everyone that, you needs know what? love. Right, sure. Wrinkly love. We can't be, we can't be ageist. Right? They need love, too. So, the other thing I wanted to talk about that I think a lot of people forgot about was the Honda CBR600R getting, dis- or double R getting discontinued. Yeah, sure. That's crazy. It is like, crazy. That's, that's, that probably should have been like the story we started with, because I think that's, that's one of those big stories that happened throughout the year that I don't think got enough coverage, because it's just, I don't know, it's kind of bizarre. Were you, you were one of the ones that was like, well, they would never. Right. And I, I think both I was, of one, us I like, was one of the ones that was saying that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, I, I definitely think Honda will, is doing it. I don't I know, think, I don't think there's any bizarre. doubt about it, but it's just one of those things where you sit there and you're just, it, it's a very Honda decision. That was definitely a very bean counter decision. And I think, I think we even talked about it when on the show when, when this sure. issue was, was salient, but it, I think it's very much an issue of, the Japanese manufacturers reacting to a trend that they themselves created. And so it's going to be like this feedback loop, death spiral kind of thing. It's like, well, when you don't update a motorcycle for the better part of a decade and you, you know, and collectively as manufacturers, you don't do that. Of course, the segment's going to start going away. Like no, no surprises there, especially if you start realizing that maybe some of these buyers that you're depending on are really repeat buyers and not new buyers. And I think that's one of the things that that the sport bike market is really sussing out for us is you know, I think for a while leader bikes and 600cc bikes were selling so well because there was a new bike every two years that you you had to buy. Like that had so much more latest whammy bandy yeah, stuff sure. on it. And they plateaued. You had to you had to buy the newest one. It was like, oh, I got to get rid of mine to get the new one. Yeah. Now it's all plateaued where Really? What are you, what are you doing other than de- just paying for depreciation? That's yeah. it. So interesting, interesting there. Worth, worth revisiting if you have the time on, on ANR. So some more newsy items to get away from the bikes. Do you remember the big kerfuffle with Harley Davidson and their little fuel injection or not their fuel injection, but the EP, the, the tuner boxes, and yeah. the EPA crash sure. That was a huge story. Again, you're going off of the clicks you got. Clicks I got, but I think in general, that's a huge story. Like that was a lot of boxes that were out there. Um, and I think on a larger scale or or a more macro scale, that I think was very much the EPA sending a message to the motorcycle industry of like, Hey guys, you've been doing some shit for a while and we're not going to take it anymore. Like we, we got shot down on regulating your street bikes for track use 
and racing use. So we're going to find some other ways to like, yeah, sure. Push the button and make sure that you're adhering to, you know, good practices. And why not choose the largest, most glaring example that can absolutely have the most effect, right? If you're going to make an example out of someone, you make the example out of the biggest guy on the block. And that's why you you punch the bully in the nose and you're never going to get bullied again. Very, very interesting. I literally have in my notes, EBR slash MV Augusta shitastrophe. <laughs> they're both such shitastrophes, right? They oh, are, man. they're both like really bad stomach bugs and, and a really, really hot curry. That is questionable <laughs> taco food truck shitastrophe <laughs> all over. Oh man. That's like. Getting, getting on an airplane and, and not knowing you're sick until about an hour into the flight and then having that and having to go into that little bathroom and just sweat it out. <laughs> right? That's what those are. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't even know where to begin with this. We um, just did. We just laid it all in the toilet. Right yeah. There. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to edit all that out. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, First things first, envy. MV Augusta. So it's been a crazy year for MV Augusta. And, you know, they came off of a really, I felt like 2015 was a good year, or at least on the veneer of it. It seemed really good on the surface. Uh, a lot of new bikes coming out, some interesting things going on. Racing program looked good. You know, they were kind of seemed like they were, they were producing a lot of bikes and things were looking up and they were trying to get their U.S. operations together. They were trying to get their international operations together. And it just kind of seemed like things were finally, like the momentum was finally getting there. And then obviously 2016 comes along and we learn that like, oh, by the way, like, so we, we sold a record year, you know, number of bikes, you know, in a long while, but it turns out we didn't really have the cash flow for that. And now we've created a problem of our own creation of, um, you know, not having enough money to do things. Fast forward through the news of the year and it turns out like they're not paying or allegedly not paying. Uh, the social security for their, for their employment force. They're going to have to let people go. They have to restructure all their debt and they go through this kind of quasi uh, bankruptcy proceeding with the Italian courts and they're going to let go of like half of their employees. And now we just saw that this uh, Anglo Russian investment firm, black ocean is coming in. The, the rumor I'm hearing is 30 to 40% of the company was sold. What I haven't heard is how much, um, uh, or whether or not AMG is still part of the equation, which owns a, a pretty sizable Do they really? It's still? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, 25% of my memory is correct. It's either 20 or 20, 25%. The fact that we haven't heard anything about it makes me think that they're still in the picture. So that would mean that the Castiglione's are no longer majority shareholders. They're probably still the largest shareholder, um, but may not be the outright majority. So I think that's very interesting and, and, you know, we're seeing them like, I think the latest figure I saw is them talking about 5,000 units for this year and that they're not going to come out with a new superbike anytime soon. They're saying 5,000 like in the world, in the world. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, and we're seeing them talk about not making a a new F4 anytime soon. Instead, they're going to make a 1200 CC version of the Brutale. Um, so I think that's a little disappointing, especially since their their superbike programs like their superbike program had a really good year this year. Leon Camier really, I think, punched above his weight class. You know, I think we're gonna talk about racing towards the end of the show, but that, you know, a little prelude to that, like he was definitely one of my 
my picks for guys that that did really well this year with what they had. Yeah, but but there's no the market is so soft for big superbikes. Can you blame I mean, I, them? I don't blame them at all. I don't blame them at all. Uh, I get it from a business point of view, and maybe that's smart. But I just think it's very interesting because that was something that you know a lot of my sources were saying. Like we're working on the new superbike, we're working on the new superbike. We got all this data from super, from World Superbike on what we need to change and what we need to fix. And the F4 platform is an old platform, so the fact that it's going to languish for at least another year or two, if not longer, yeah, is maybe. a little worrying. I mean, it's still a beautiful bike. I think Adrian Morton did an amazing job of of remixing that tambourine design and making it modern and look good. But, you know, it's tough, man. Uh, I kind of feel for him on a certain level. And then there's another level where I mean, I'm just like, get your shit together. You know, come on. Like, yeah. So that's interesting. And then on the flip side, we have, well, I wouldn't say the flip side, but over here domestically, we have Eric Bueller Racing, which I think I just saw the other day. They have like, is it 11 or 16 dealerships nationwide now? So they're going to sell 11 bikes? You know, that's why I kind of sit there. Like you 11, kinda, uh, what are they, munchkin cat bikes? <laughs> well, and that, I think that was the big disappointment, right? You know, we, we saw all this big talk when it came to the, um, the uh, I'm blanking on the name that they gave it. Whatever, the Orlando show? Yeah. They're like, hey, we're going to come up with this new model. It's the munchkin cat of a motorcycle. You're going to have to explain that to our listeners. All right, munchkin know. cats, because if you don't love cats, you wouldn't know that there's a type of cat that looks like a wiener dog. It has little legs and a normal cat body. It's like a, it's like dwarfism for cats. We're, we're talking about the EBR Black Lightning. No, the Black Lightning. The so Black Lightning. It's lowered. So, but it's, it's a full size motorcycle. It's not like a Buell Blast. It's, it's a, an 1190SX that has been lowered. Like lowered and and it just looks really weird. Like not good. Like really bad. It looks like a Munchkin cat. Like not good. I think the I think the saddest part for me was listening to Eric Buell at um, AIM Expo try and like hype this bike, and he was just like, "Oh yeah, you know, we made these changes, and like they just drastically, just drastically altered the way this bike, you know, operates and handles and feels, and it just makes it such a better bike." And you're just like, "You just lowered it, like you didn't, you didn't do anything. You just it's low, it's a little bit lower." Yeah. You change the ergos a little bit. Like, yeah. Like, really? You, 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 you're going to tell me you really polished this turd and, and, and you painted it black? They're going to need to come out with that adventure bike that they were working on before it got Dude, scuttled. It should have been project number one when EBR yeah. uh, got launched. Because look at what's hot. Look at what's not. Look yeah. at what's competitive. I get behind that. I'd I'd start. I wouldn't say I'd be singing the praises, but I'd get behind it. I I could at least understand it from a business point of view, and and if the price could be competitive, like that's the thing. Like, I think that's what killed the that's what killed Eric Buell Racing was the fact that they went into the superbike market. The product was the 1190 RX, and it was Ducati level pricing. It was European level pricing, and it wasn't anywhere near the sophistication, the fit and finish, or the performance of the European bikes. Made good horsepower, had an impressive, you yeah. know, dyno figure. Sure, but if you actually rode that bike and dealt with all the bullshit, I mean, it just—I still can't get over the fact that there were, you had to agree to the legal disclaimer every time you wanted to change the traction control. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it's just. Ugh. A friend of mine bought an 1190RX, super cheap. Oh, when, when they were doing the whole bank 
shuffle. No, thing? this is just recently within the last, I don't know. It was like three months ago, two to three months ago. Okay. So this is still something post bankruptcy sitting on the dealer floor. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. And okay. I had never really seen one in street form. I'd only seen the race bikes. So I, I was intimately familiar with those things as he was desperately trying to get power out of those turd wedge engines and that horrible. Well, I think I think that's the thing, right? Like the 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 stock form makes good power. I think it makes like 185 or something like that. Yeah. But I think that's 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 it. That's it. You're not making a whole lot more. You're not than gonna that. like the yeah. No. You're not gonna go make 220 or whatever you need to make to yeah. 220 at the wheel to be competitive in AMA Superbike. Even, even <clears throat> making them that so that they're like brightly lit candles uh, that are burning quickly. It's it's there's some structural issues that they can only go so they could only make so much horsepower so anyway <clears throat> good bikes though surprisingly good bikes for what they are take the stupid front brake off okay the rest of it's all right the fuel and frame meh it works they'll so figure it out yeah. it's horrible yeah. but it, it works well enough and i think they're handsome the black one that my buddy bought good old gabe he rolled up to motocorsa on it and it was like holy crap and i think he got it for in the the low teens or low yeah. Well, I think he still paid over too much. I know, but they he If ends you up, paid five figures for it, you paid too much. Oh man, that's, that's sad. I'm really being shitty. That's that that's is kind of shitty because I think that that's a twelve, thirteen thousand dollars worth of That's all. fair. That's fair. For sure. That's when it, it, when, def- I, when I start being fair about it, yep. thirteen grand. That's what I'm saying. Good price. Right. So you get a bike if he got it new and it's all clean, the wheels look good, the fr- the fairings look good, the How about swing that warranty on. though. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> and he knows that that's a risk, but you know what? What could break? What could go wrong? Right? What could go wrong, yeah, man? Sure. So 63rd. you know, just go buy a couple of brake discs or put on another front end on it, and you'd be okay. Put a new front end on it. You're set. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Or I, don't ride it on the track. Bottom line is that bike. Whatever. Give me. Get a. Give us an adventure bike to sink our teeth into, and maybe we'll listen. May I will. I, I'm not gonna. And we talk. We have talked massive amounts of shit about that organization from mm-hmm. the time it was Buell pre-Harley to mid-Harley to post-Harley to EBR to whatever is going on. It's it's a it's a joke. But I'm I not gonna say it's a joke. I'm not gonna say it's a joke just because I don't wanna I don't wanna discourage or or talk poorly of anyone that's out there trying. But it was a failure. And I think that's the thing that you need to understand. It was a failure as Buell, it was a failure as EBR. It's looking like a failure yeah, right. in EBR part de. Yeah, you're right. And I just, I would just wish people would fail fast with it because we're failing slow. We're sitting there like, oh, we can do it. I'm like, there is a market for an American made superbike. I believe this. You cannot sell it on it being purely made in America, American company, yeah, America, sure. fuck yeah. You need to sell it on the merits. People got pretty close with that, but the pricing was off and the pricing probably had to be where it was. There was a lot of mismanagement of money. There was a lot of mismanagement of resources. And there's a lot of just general, just, hmm with that whole deal and people just can't seem to get over it. An EBR adventure bike makes a ton of sense. Will we see one anytime soon? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, there's nothing I'm seeing from the, the Phoenix that is EBR that isn't really making me be like, Oh yeah, these guys are about, they're going to crush it in 2017. No, the only thing they're going to crush is like the leftover parts. <laughs> they're going to make a couple more of those cube things. Oh, those a, big, a bigger cube than a blast cube. I would probably rather have a a Buell adventure bike that's designed as well as the 
1190RX, or at least has the fit and finish of. I'd probably rather have that than the Modus. If if you're going to look at the costs, like, say I had yeah. a bunch of disposable income and I could afford the Modus at, what is it, 35000 30 plus, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, that's tough. I can't, that's really yeah, out of it's it. It's funny because I was just talking to some people about the Modus the other day, and it's one of those, the Modus is a cool bike. Uh, I don't know if you could make me part with my cash for one. The engine's really raw and it's really, it's a really burly engine. The chassis is pretty good. The ergonomics need some improvement, but there's a lot you can do there and set up. Like they have a lot, they have a lot of options for you there. Um, I'm big, looking at this carbon one that you have. The carbon one looks really good. Sure. And you know, I really like what, what Lee and Brian are doing there. They're really good guys. 30 grand is really tough. I think, I think at the end of the day, the Modus is one of those bikes where like you want to show up on something other than a Harley Davidson. You want to show up on something other than a Goldwing. You want to be that different guy. This is a, a or girl or girl. Um, absolutely. Uh, it, it is a good alternative. It is a good plan B. You know, I don't think they're going to sell a boat ton of them. Certainly not that price point. And it's. Yeah, it's just a kind of weird, interesting bike. I think the hardest issue for them is they, that bike doesn't have like the product lust. It's not one of those bikes you look at or it doesn't have like a, a set of features that at least for me gets me like, oh yeah, I gotta have that in my garage. Like, like a super yeah. you're like, oh my God, there's so much carbon fiber, carbon fiber chassis. It's amazing. All these electronics. Like this is like, this is like the wet dream of super bikes. Modus would have garage. to have, or they or would like, have to be leading edge, sharp end of technology and have this really interesting engine and a decent chassis and and on and on. Well, so, so here's my thing. This is a story I've been working on all this week and hopefully it'll come out before this podcast does knock on wood. Um, but it was talking about why we don't actually have like a Tesla in the motorcycle industry. Like I, you know, to, to bag on your employer, Alta Motors or, or, or zero or mission or any of these electric motorcycle companies, they all try and say like, well, we're the Tesla of the motorcycle industry. Did you see that video of the Tesla? I think it was out last week where the Tesla saw the accident before the driver yeah. did and applied the brakes and all the yep. stuff. That's why Tesla is crushing it. Not the fact that they're making an electric car. It's the fact that they're making cars that have technology that for the longest time, the automotive industry wasn't willing to invest in auto, you know, autonomous driving, the, the cruise, the adaptive cruise control, yeah. all these features. And like the idea that like you park your car and like the electronics can be updated over Wi-Fi. Like, I don't even know if there is a big box OEM right now that's doing that yet, which is mind boggling in a way. Like you, you're like, really? Like Tesla approached transportation from a technology point of view, from like a Silicon Valley point of view. And that's why they are the Tesla of the automotive world. I've yet to see any manufacturer in, in whether it be electric or, or gas powered pick up on that. And I think that's kind of like, that's kind of like the disconnect. Like no one sits here and talks about like, oh, I got to have that Nissan Leaf. Oh yeah. Oh, I really want that, that Chevy Volt. But my, my point is, is like, there's no, you know, that's, that's what Tesla's product loss comes from. It's like, yes, they make an attractive car they make an attractive electric car, but more importantly, they're making some of the most technologically advanced vehicles on the market right now. And that's what's, I think the most alluring thing. I think that's hard for Modus where they're very, I'm going to say the word crude. They're very crude motorcycles. And I don't mean that in, in a negative way, but they're more uh, brass tacks like that. Like They're, they're banking on that. I don't need my electronics. I don't need traction control. I'm trying to think if they have ABS or not. 
Um, I'm not saying they're banking on it, but that's kind of, I think that's, that's part of the that's kitch what is they're that playing this too. is raw. And that's you why, like, raw bite, and that's right? why I'm saying like, it doesn't speak to me because I don't get into the whole push rod engine. This is like a, a like a little mini Corvette. There's all this cool hot rod shit I can do with it. Like that's not me in my motorcycling yeah, sure. form, but like I, I, I get it and I see where they're doing it and that's going to speak to a certain kind of person. Um, but it's, it's that same idea of like, you know, that's, that's their angle. That's where their product loss comes from. And I think they miss a large demographic by not having whammy bammy electronics or, or a really evocative design like you would see coming from like some of the Italian brands. Sure. Uh, and I think that's Buell's issue too, where it's like, yeah, you built a super bike. It makes good power. It makes, it has like, you know, the right things on the checklist, but like, you're still like a generation behind everyone else or you're, you're a certain level of sophistication behind everyone else. And you're trying to act like you aren't, you're, you're coming out here with an $18,000 price tag, yeah, but you don't have any of the, the refinement or product lust of an $18,000 brand. You know, like you're just, you're just like a Suzuki to me. Yeah. You know, that's where I'm going to put you. You're like a slightly more, you're like a slightly improved Suzuki Jixer that's been out for eight years or a Honda CBR. Congratulations. That's why those bikes aren't selling well. That's why your bikes aren't selling well. What you should have done is looked at the, the market and said, hey, ADV bikes are selling really well. ADV bikes are a lot easier to compete in because it's, you know, yeah. not horsepower driven, not necessarily electronics driven. Look at the, like we said, the Honda Africa Twin. It's not the bike with the most horsepower. It's not the bike with all the bells and whistles. Yeah, it has the dual clutch transmission. I would personally probably not get it with that. I'd probably just go with the old manual box. Just because I enjoy that more on road and can learn to live without it off road, because I think it's it's really great off road. That's one of the things. But you know, if EBR could come out and be like, "Yeah, we can make a thirteen thousand dollar ADV bike that's got our nice V twin power plant in it," that's and, reasonably and it lightweight, makes, and it's reasonably lightweight, makes one hundred fifty horsepower. Wouldn't that be bitching? I would get behind that in a heartbeat. I don't think I don't think the new management has the balls for that. I don't think EB. I don't think Buell. Uh, Eric Buell himself had the mindset for that when he started e- Eric Buell racing. And I think that's the tragedy that is EBR right now. An anecdote about that, um, that Tesla thing. This is of note. Like those listeners, you should find this video. It came out of the Netherlands. I don't know why. I, I, maybe this is because it's the only time one is caught on video of, uh, so you're the tra- cars driving along on a freeway and, if you're watching the video really closely, you might be able to tell that uh, the, the car in front of the car in question, the car in front of the videotaping car, uh, you don't see it to put its brake lights on. All you hear is beep, 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 or something like that. And then you hear see the brake lights come on, and then you see a, a crash happening. But the car had... The Tesla. N- the Tesla that you're in had alerted it to because it's radar. The radar is bouncing underneath the car in front of it, around the car in front of it, to to get the signal that there were cars in front of it that were braking heavily. And that was what told it. And it's like, wow, that's interesting. And somewhere online, a friend of mine posts this video, and and it's just like internet, the internet of it all. Somebody's like, oh, well, I, you know, if you, if you just paid attention, you would have been able to no. see the brake lights in the car in front of you. No. In front of the car that you, right? And, and I... I just, I couldn't not say bullshit, right? I was like, that's bullshit. You're just full of shit. I'm sure you might have. So, I mean, good drivers, and I, and I try to do this, good drivers will look through the windows and see what's going on and sure. try and see around and, of course, you know, and see what the car in front of us is. Try as you might. But 
I, yeah, I'm with you. 100% bullshit that you're going to outperform the computer on that one. No way. Not even close. I mean, we're talking milliseconds. Yeah. And I get and, it. And understand at highway speeds. Hundreds of feet. The, exactly. How many feet you are traveling each second. I get that the person might be aware and that I could probably do a good job as well of looking in front of the car in front of me and seeing the brake lights. But I'm watching this video and the only reason you see it is because you rewatched it multiple times. Yeah. I call bullshit. And it's just funny to see that people, no matter what, they just want to hate. And I'm with them. I get it. I, I understand some good hating. But really? You can't <laughs> refute that that is an amazing technology and that there was a, a clear example of that on there. And boy, if you could have that, even on a motorcycle, ah, it's, it pains me to think about all the technology we packed in, in these things, but that might be a very helpful thing. How many Volvo station wagons were sold on that idea that this is a car that is safer to carry your kids around yeah, than sure. the car next to it? I guarantee you, I guarantee you there are uh, newly minted families around the world taking note of that and be like, which, you know, yeah, I want that. which car sure. do I want my family hauling around in? Yeah, sure. The car that's going to save me by 100 feet, it's going to react 100 feet quicker to an accident than I am. It's huge. It's huge. It's mind boggling. And and that's the thing that like, that's the thing that really impresses me with Tesla. And that's why I say we don't have a Tesla in the motorcycle industry because no one, no one is doing that. We have some interesting players in the EV space. We have some interesting uh, companies doing some stuff, but no one's out there making disruptive technology like Tesla is in the automotive space. Agreed. So it's, it's of note. And I think with that, I want to segue to maybe someone who was disruptive in the motorcycle industry and talk about Michael Sizz for a minute. Right on. Um, we lost him in the middle of the year. Uh, was someone, it May? Uh, yeah, it was early May, uh, May 7th. Um, oh, May 7th was the story. I don't know if that's the day he passed. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, he was someone that you and I both knew very well. Michael was my first interview ever, which was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I came up here to Portland on uh, just a whim to write some stories about electric bikes, and I went around to all the EV startups of the time, and Michael was the uh, the first one that, that gave me a shot. We had a very interesting conversation. Um, and then, um, yeah, it's been interesting to follow uh to, well, it was interesting to talk to him right at that transition from the gas bike to the electric bike. And then it was interesting to follow his work in the EV space and, and all the things he, he did at the Alaman TT. And, um, yeah, it was pretty, I'm, I'm really glad in that sense that I got to see that. I'm not trying to say like, you know, Michael was this huge, like force that was disrupting the motorcycle industry, but he was definitely part of a movement that I feel has disrupted the motorcycle industry and definitely made the motorcycle industry more aware of electric drivetrains and enforcing some OEMs and some players to take note of that space and maybe get out of these ruts that they are in. So excellent, excellent for that. Yeah. And of course, being someone that worked for him was one of a, and then there aren't many of us that were involved over the years. Even there was a bunch of different sections of people over the course of the time that worked on the piston engine and, and the electric. But there still wasn't that many in general if you added up all of the people. So um, we're, uh, those of us that were involved were very fortunate. And uh, yeah, I, when it happened, um, I don't remember thinking, I don't remember what we talked about. I think I, I, I probably, even to this day, I'm still kind of quiet about it. I don't, right? I'd, there's a lot to be said. 
and we talked about perhaps doing a show on it eventually. I just don't know, right? I, I haven't figured that out. I haven't figured out how how to tell the story or what, you know, how, how deep to get into it, or et cetera, et cetera. Even though my time there, it's almost been it's almost been like nine years since I left there. So that's a long time. I'm thinking back. I was looking back at photos recently. I was like, geez, it's a lifetime ago for me. So I, I, um, yeah, I don't know. But I, obviously, it, it meant a whole lot to me, and that was the best thing I ever did. And one of the reasons why I'm at Alta is because of the feel that is at Alta relative to the feel of that, which is going and doing something new and cutting edge and interesting and deep instead of same old, same old, same old, right? Yeah. So I love the idea of of being involved with something like that. Again, the fact that I'm at something that's even partially analogous to what I did at CIS because the CIS probably the best job I will have ever had. And I keep saying that, and it sounds kind of defeatist, like, oh, you'll do something really interesting eventually, but you can't do that again. That I don't see anybody ever doing that again, trying to, to make a, a piston engine MotoGP bike, even failing. I just don't see it happening. So anyway, that's a really cool thing for me, and Michael was obviously the, the, the key to it. So, you know. I think it's a good point to bring up. Like, you look at the way the rules are structured now and the way MotoGP is going, it doesn't lens it lend itself to another uh moto sis or i'm trying to think of some of the other efforts that have come through <laughs> there really hasn't been many suitor yeah suitor in a way but like i was trying to think of you know like wcm or like some of like well suitor was the kenny, closest kenny roberts's thing but there's a there's a spanish brand i'm trying to think of that never actually made it onto the track but they were always kind of there it's like in motec or Kalex speed up. Those are all Moto Two. I know, but I thought maybe one of them had a had a Moto GP. But you know, we've seen some kind of one offish stuff where they'll still have like a Honda engine yeah, or sure. something. Um, more let's say let's call it independent teams than say yeah. satellite teams, like independent teams that are building their own bikes sure. rather than leasing bikes. I don't think. I think that's just gone. The and, key is the engine. The fact that to developing an engine from scratch, and that was the thing that. Suter had done with an 800 and that was a big deal it was a triple i believe i can't remember exactly but i'm pretty sure it was a triple and that was a what well, was a mind bender that they were trying to do it N especially with the knowledge of how difficult it is to 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 develop an engine from scratch holy shit but now especially i know more than most do that that's a, that's with you need cubic dollars and a lot of time to be able to do it so yeah when you think a, about like some of these like KTM's touting 280 horsepower. Even that, even if that's a crank figure, like that is a massive amount of energy to be produced from a leader engine. Sure. And we weren't there 10 years ago. No, sure. So what's well, all about spinning it up, man. There's no replacement for displacement and you can only, you know, from volumetric efficiency standpoint, you can only get so much torque out of an engine. You have to spin the shit out of it. That's why formula one cars were going up to 20,000 plus RPM with a when they had no limit on RPM, but they had a limit on engine capacity. And that's what you do. That's where pneumatic valve trains come from. That's how it works. You got to spin the shit out of it to make the horsepower. Well, and I think, I think we touched on this uh, an episode or two ago about the fuel. And so you look at all the top teams have a fuel company that they are sponsored by. And I don't think that's an, that's an accident because I think they're at a certain point you have to be partnered with someone 
who's making your fuel to be able to co-develop a fuel engine combination yeah, sure. that can make that extra 5% more power or whatever yep. that, that little step that separates some of the top teams from some of the not so top teams. And it's just a fact of a fact of the matter. It's, it's being able to be more than just yourself. It's being able to have close knit relationships with someone like Olin's and Brembo to make your suspension and braking package work with your chassis and, and the sure. fuel with the engine and the electronics with the management. And it's, it's, it's a lot more sophisticated. It's at a higher level than it was say a decade, a decade ago. And certainly a decade ago was a lot more sophisticated than it was the decade. Yeah. Before. And that was definitely something that, that Sis had done was, was try and partner early on with, uh, they, he was partnered with elf, which is a French yeah. company that had, that makes uh, lubricants and all kinds of crazy motorcycles. Well, yeah, right. But the the bulk of its stuff now would be petroleum based crap, and it um that was the deal. We'd we'd have these these huge drums filled with weird methyl ethyl death fuels, and that was eventually going to come down to all right. Here here's what we're going to tail this engine for, and the the Cosworth engineers that were involved, ex Cosworth engineers that were involved, that was part of the plan. You know, if we were going to get power out of it, that was going to be a major uh, component for sure. So, so was the fuel that you're getting for Elf specially made for Moto Sis, or nope. is that just Elf being like, "This is super whammy fuel A, super whammy fuel yeah. B, super whammy fuel C"? So you yeah, exactly. See which one works with what you're doing. Well, the key the key we'll was trying to match a fuel to the f- to the burn or the flame propagation or whatever you're going to call of a certain size of combustion chamber the certain type of valve train, right? So if you had a combustion chamber that's, I think that was either 81 or 82 millimeter bore, which was, I can't remember if the that was- The rules changed to 81. And I remember Michael talking about how the bore that he was using was very close to that. Exactly. And that was the thing. So you had that and you, you have a fuel that works in that space. You can kind of get close. And I think that was the idea. It's like, okay, well, we have this partner. We'll just use whatever fuel- um, you send us what you got and we'll, we'll work with it. And if we're making 220, um, uh, I think the target was 240 horsepower. So if we're going to make 240 horsepower and we need to get it to 250 or we're making 240 horsepower and we need to get the power band smoother in the mid range. I mean, there horsepower, the top number is not that important it's how usable the power is right as we'll say over and over i never watched a dyno beat another dyno down the front straight right it's it's not that important as long as you have good usable power through all the rev range and a good electronics to be able to handle when the when the rider requests more torque they should be able to get more torque or more more thrust right and their wrist is requesting it and as long as they have the traction, they should be able to get as much as they possibly can. And if you have an engine that's tuned for really high peak horsepower, but it's really shitty as it's going through the rev range, then you're not going to get, that rider's not going to be comfortable with, with that power. So sometimes the fuels have a, uh, a huge uh, effect on that mid-range with having the cam timing and ignition timing right as it's accelerating through and up onto the front straightaway and then also the blast down. Uh, a good, an example of this would be with the AMA spec Sunoco fuel that started whenever, I don't, I don't remember what year they started with the spec fuels. It was either 09, 10, 11, somewhere around in there. I know I had to run it when I was racing an A48. And I know that my friends that were involved, my, uh, especially anybody that had been at Graves that I would get 
information from they weren't necessarily at graves but there were a lot of people were tuning the r6s still and by that time seven eight nine ten eleven that's five years into r6 tuning everybody had those bikes down pat everywhere chassis engine everything everybody knew the cam timing everybody knew what the what the hot recipe was if you have a wild rider or a smooth rider or whatever you could tailor each bike to it pretty easily it wasn't that difficult but they had had power down really early on and that was that they knew what p to v they could piston valve clearance they could run they knew what cam timing they can run etc etc well when that new fuel came in or when they were forced to run the spec fuel they were fucked that, that was horrible. Like the power was down for everybody, all four cylinder inlines, small pistons. It was just down. But the Buells, specifically Danny Eslick's um, Buell 1125R, yeah. which was allowed to race against 600cc Japanese inlines and a 675 Triumph and an 848 Ducati. So the overlords of that class were the 848 Ducati and the Buell. The Buell's pistons were gigantic, right, compared to everything else. The Ducati was fairly large, and the Ducatis made really good power on that fuel, and so did the Buell's, like really, really good. And I guess the reckoning was that it, the way the flame propagated, it it was either a slow burn or a fast burn or something, whatever it is, it lent itself to a bigger piston, a bigger piston area, right, which I thought was really interesting because my A48 – which was just blueprinted stock with fairly simple cam timing, nothing extreme because I couldn't risk it blowing up. And on a dyno jet dyno where an R6 with the same fuel would make somewhere between 124 and 128 and mine made 127. And that was a, that was like, I was so stoked because it was essentially just a blueprinted engine. You get the squish right, you get the, the cam timing, I think it was like 108, 108 cam timing, simple as you can get, and it made really good horsepower, and it made great burn range, and it was all because of Ronnie Saner and his tuning was able to make that map really bitching, and it worked really well with that fuel. And the key was that it worked really well with that fuel, for sure. Now, if I'd have just dumped VPMR12, or I can't remember what the nomenclature is, it was MR10 or MR12, something like that in that era, and so that's all methyl ethyl death fuel for sure. It's bad stuff. It's highly oxygenated. So it, it's creating oxygen in addition to uh, and the, what's coming in, right? So once, once the combustion process is happening, once rapid oxidization is occurring, it's creating its own. It's, it gives you like a 10% power boost. So most of those fuels... It's like having almost like a force air... Almost, and then inside the combustion yeah. chamber, essentially. Yeah, it's not... Forced induction, but you, no. you get the concept. It's yeah. like that, which is why those fuels will make 10, 12% horsepower just by adding them, not even screwing with ignition timing or fueling, but then you can play with it and get a little bit more out of it even, even further if you had those. And that's what the AMA teams, mainly the, the high level teams would have against any, um, you name it, little skippy trying to come and race as a privateer. You're screwed because they not only can use that fuel and pay the $25 a gallon or if probably more now uh, and just just waste the shit out of that, testing it, putting it on the dyno, running it, blowing up engines, running engines into the ground to, to optimize. That's stuff that you can only do if you are factory Suzuki, Yamaha, Honda, right? Generally. And and some of the privateers could get close to it, but that was really a big part of it for sure. Uh, so ult ultimate four or ultra four or something is this nasty stuff that would just 
eat away all kinds of rubber and you don't leave it in the tank for, I mean, you'd almost have to clear the tank after every race weekend. It was nasty shit. And that stuff would even make more horsepower than the other ones, but it would fail a specific gravity test at an AMA round. So they do a, What's spe- a gravity test. Specific gravity test was basically how much weight it has. Right. And it, they, they use that. They, they put it in a, a vial and somehow because oh, some, it wasn't legal yeah oh, okay. that's the that's the test is to see the the and if it fails that then you're out right so then there was another arms race at one point in time that that ended up with 250 dollars a gallon fuel and i watched that get poured into multiple bikes one time that was gnarly and it would it you would if you were not in a vented environment you would projectile vomit if you inhaled it uh, i'm not even kidding you it would it would make you projectile vomit like uh, across the room, you would, it was, right? Yeah. And it, but you have to understand, like, this is why I'm laughing. That is a, that is a 150,000 years of human evolution that, that we've developed that reflex for the most horrible of things. Like, that's your body recognizing that this cannot be in me. This is horrible, horrible for yeah, me. Yeah, it's beyond Our just ancestors that, that, yeah. that inhaled this and vomited survive the others did not so we have this this projectile vomit reflex for things of that nature it was horrible watching some of the crew members actually do this it happened multiple (laughs) times you had to be warned everybody would have to say hey we're filling up a bike and everybody watch and then (laughs) oh dude we called it too little too late in the can because it was why, it was bad. I don't yeah. understand. Like, why didn't they have like like we better did. masks? Yeah, they, or they they did, but they just didn't filter out. It, it 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 they did. They would use that with the people that were on it. But if it wafted in a certain way around, or oh, so uh, this isn't necessarily the people that are pouring it that are vomiting. This is like the guy that like didn't ugh, get away. It's making me gag just thinking about it. Like it's really bad. It was really bad. So that happened mm. in the in in the mid two thousands at uh, between race teams because it worked. It worked really well. Do you know and, what, do and you know it what didn't fail? Is? What? Do you know what durian is? Yeah, no, this is this is beyond like durian. Beyond that? Yeah, this is <laughs> this is like stinky tofu bad. This is <laughs> stinky tofu. This is different level of, and it's not even that bad. It's sweet, weirdly sweet smelling. Fuel, fuel is perfumed. It's a the smell you smell is not natural to it no, generally. No, no. It's the same with like natural gas. The smell yep. is added so you know there's a leak. And the reason natural gas smells a, a certain way is so that buzzards would go to it and they'd be able to tell in a line going across the desert where the leaks are because the buzzard oh, would be there. I didn't there, know that. Right? Because there's the smell of rotting flesh or right decomposing matter. At least that's what I've heard. That could be complete fucking wives' tale bullshit. But I, I, I know, I know the smells added because you wouldn't smell it otherwise. Right. And then that's be like why that smells that thing. specific way because they were used apparently using birds to find. I'm going to Google that while you. That's a good one, right? We should, you should do MythBusters on Q's uh, anecdotes. So anyway, we're going really, really far off on a fuel tangent for being a year-end review thing. But <laughs> I, I, and maybe we should talk about this further and in depth. Uh, I'm just going to say Pop size agreeing with you. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But I mean, that was PopSide last year, so... Okay, it could be out of date. Well, I'm just saying, you know, online PopSide 2016. Okay, fair enough. All right, so maybe we'll we'll delve into that. We should get a... We talked about this about with Elliot. We should get Elliot on the show. He would be an interesting interview in general. So our good buddy, Elliot Cho... Uh, who worked with me in uh, in the AMA paddock and and still and at Ducati, uh, and he's still there at Ducati. That's amazing. Uh, he uh, he's a Ducati hottie. He's a Ducati hottie. He would he would 
we would be able to have a really cool conversation about this because you guys were having this conversation. We did. We had right. we had the Diet Coke version of yep. this conversation. So and we, super interesting. That's what got my my brain kind of switched on about the whole fuel thing because I never really put that together. And I was yeah. like, oh yeah, it was like an epiphany. I was just like, oh yeah, of course. It's like like tires. Like I think we drastically underestimate how important tires are to how a motorcycle operates. Sure. Same thing with fuel. Drastically underestimate how important fuel is in ter- terms of making horsepower and how that horsepower is made and what that torque curve looks like. Well, and all that we'll jazz. figure out a way to talk about that because we could also talk about other consumables like brake pads and how critical they are, yeah. right? Not just having the, the latest set of this and that, but tailoring them to the rider because that's something that gets tailored to a rider more than it is to like efficiency, yeah. right? You could have really, really good friction coefficient on the set of brake pads, but if they don't feel right, it doesn't matter, right? Anyway, and so that's, that's the point, like just, just to keep that going, that was one of the big things between the Nissan brakes sure. and the Brembo brakes and sure. GP. When you talk to, I think it was Bautista one season, they switched and he was able to kind of get a good AB test on it. And he was just saying like, you know, it's, it's not that the Nissan brakes aren't any better or worse. It's that the way they release, the way that feels is different and quote unquote, not as good as the way the Brembo's do. And that's yeah. part of the issue. And now of course the other part of it being Brembo's database on yeah. track rider information yeah, is sure. massively larger than this sense. And that's sure. the reason Olin's dominates in suspension. It's, it's one of those things. It's not even so much like what the product is. It's the knowledge base that comes with it. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm trying to see what other, Oh, we had, well, this is a good segue because I wanted to wrap up the show with talking a little bit of racing news. Okay. Um, if we can transition briefly out of the GP paddock, I wanted to start with the TT because this year was a crazy year for the Alaman TT. We had spectacular weather and records dropped like flies. Um, Michael Dunlop pushed the outright lap record to 133.393 miles <laughs> per hour. Yeah. That's average speed around 37 miles. Yeah. That's gnarly. That's gnarly. Um, I, I remember when 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 thirty got broke. One thirty got broken. I remember when it was one twenty. I think I'm pretty You're not sure that old. it was. I, I think I was extant as a as an enthusiast when that happened, and it was like, can you imagine, right? So, well, so I know for a long time, like like when we were kind of eking around one thirty one, there was like some practice laps one thirty two, and people were talking like, it just it just can't be done. Sure. It just can't be done. It's sure. not safe. Now, and to be fair, I think I don't don't quote me on it, right? But I think uh, the Isle of Man kind of goes around each year, looks at the roads that they're using. Like, yeah, oh, sure. let's cover that pothole there. Yeah, they, maybe they make we, it a little bit better. Maybe if we kind of change the way the curb is here, you know, they make they make marginal improvements, but you know, still over, you know, like you said, thirty seven miles to be able to push that time down. And they're talking like each kind of you know jump in miles per hour is. You know, 10, 20 seconds in lap time. That's sizable. So it, it was an, it was an amazing TT this year. The TT I think is one of those kind of like, I was going to use the word unicorn. I kind of hate that word, but yeah, it, it was, it it is was this special, kind of this, it was special enough. It's just like, just incredibly different and special kind of races. And it was kind of cool to see um, just, just the level that it's getting at. And you know, we saw improvements from the electric bikes. We saw, 
the super sport speeds, the super stock speeds are getting insane as well. That's one of the things that I think people don't talk about is the, the super stock bikes. Sure. The bikes that are rolling out of the showroom. Yeah. They're so good. So close. And, and like some of the, for some of the guys, their super stock bike is better than their super bike. Because and I could see that the stock I, the electronics can yeah, do the, versus not. I'd say the Isle of Man, out of anything that where you're going to have a spike like that shine, is where you're doing that long, high speed, bumpy road weirdness. It probably would work. Uh, let me say, I I was mistaken on the 120. For me, it was 125, and it was uh, David Jeffries who has unfortunately passed away. Um, it was in 2000 and I remember that it was a big deal, like hitting, you know, a buck and a quarter. It was like, oh my gosh, what is this? You know, this is amazing. They're no, you can't go faster than that. And that was, uh, 17 years ago. So, um, yeah. About be, half a mile an hour every year. Yeah. I'm looking at it and I'm watching, I'm looking at this and it's just seeing how long it took to get further and further and further up. And then that now 600s are going. I mean, fast, it's, right? it's, it's kind of a logarithmic sure. growth. Sure. You know, so it, it's going to be diminishing returns going sure. forward. We're definitely there. And that's one of the things like people talk about the electrics and how quickly they're rising. It's like, well, first year, they didn't even break 100 miles an hour. And I remember Azur was trying to be like, oh, they were actually faster than when the first TT bikes were. And I was like, well, that's not mm. really a comparison you want to make. But, mm, but no. yeah. um, you know, they, they have only where only up to go. But even still, like the growth has been pretty awesome to see. Sure. Each year. Um but yeah, the the super bikes, man. The uh, check out Michael Dunlop's lap. Uh, the full record lap is on ANR, and it's probably you know it's like twelve minutes long. Or was or was it long? Think about that for a second, man. Thirty-seven miles in twelve minutes. That's so gnarly. Yeah, it's good. It's worth watching just for that. Get your mid mid winter. Oh, fix man. to want to go and like, hey, let's go do a track day in Australia. Let's figure out a way to go get out on a road race bike. Is there right any now. tracks near Brisbane? <laughs> Brisbane. The, we're, the, we're the Brisbane of their existence is what we yeah, are. I wasn't Melbourne yesterday. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Our poor Australian listeners, all the shit they have to put up. There's with. a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Like big ups to them. Well, what else are you going to do in prison? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I saw somebody posting or, or commenting on a Facebook post today. Um, I posted up the article about, uh, I think it was the last name of Stringfield, um, an African-American woman who rode across the oh, country yeah. multiple times, yeah, yeah, like yeah. in the teens or twenties. I can, I can remember, remember the exact era, but it was impressive. Right. And a couple of people were commenting and they were from Dundee. And I was like, Dundee? That must be Australia. And I click on it, and it was Scotland. And I was like, oh, that's why. Because wah, wah. Crocodile Dundee. That's why. It's so horrible that I would associate Dundee with Crocodile Dundee, not, you know? Because I didn't know. I was like, I just assume they're Australians. Nope. Scots. That's cool. That's good that we span, like, the English language. Like, people are commenting from different countries. I love that. I think oh, that's super neat. Cool. It's super cool. Yeah, sure. So, I'm stoked. All right, are we? Are, are, is that the final? We need to keep talking about racing, right? I mean, yeah. We, do you want to talk about GP and Superbike? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like, oh, we can end on the no, on no, the no. TT. It's it. a good spot, but I think I think we wouldn't be doing the full service. Uh, what? Are, yeah, where do we? Let's G- talk about Superbike. Okay, and then we'll Nick, finish with GP for me. It was Nikki Hayden going back and not doing horrible. 
Um, <laughs> sorry, but I mean, that's, I, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one though, right? That is. And I, I'm sorry. He's on a bike. That's not awesome. And that's not horrible, but it's not awesome. And he was having to ride heavily, but he showed that he has the health to do it, man. I think that was the biggest thing that he's you got the were hunger, worried about. He's got the health. He, he is definitely still got his a game. I think when I, when, when we were where we are now last year, I sat down and I said, Nikki Hayden, top five. That's the goal. And he got, you sure. know, and that's, and I think that's, you know, he had some mechanical issues. I think his results and the standings aren't truly indicative of what he can do as a racer. Obviously, they're indicative of what he as a racer and his team and his race package can do. I'm not going to make any excuses there. And neither is but Honda. I think, that's why they put him on the Grand Prix bike. They were like, hey, yeah. you're legit. We'll we'll give you Pedrosa's bike. Holy yeah. fuck. That's amazing that he, they did that for yeah. him, right? Um. So, so you know, I think hopefully with the new Fireblade, the new CBR 1000RR coming out, that will help give uh, Honda Racing what they need to be more at the pointy end of the stick because they definitely, they were podium contenders on their on a good day. They definitely weren't, I don't think, race w- winner contenders race win contenders uh, on a good day i think the stars kind of had to align for that to happen sure but um attrition i think nikki's showing that he can he can be a guy that can bring a home a top step for honda if honda can give him the package to do so and then to have stefan brattle come out for 2017 is going to be i think really good for that as well and um you know michael vandermark had a good season um you can definitely tell between pacing Nikki with with VDM that um VDM Vandermark Vandermark uh you know like uh you know Nikki was kind of learning in the first half of the season then kind of was building steam in the later half of the season you know you could kind of see those results kind of invert with each other like where I think Michael had a stronger beginning to the season whereas Nikki had a stronger end to the season. So that's that's promising. That's showing the progress and 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 things like that. And um, I'll be curious to see where they go. I, I think I said earlier in the show, like Leon Camier, I think had an amazing season. Like I'm just thinking in terms of like he was punching above their weight class. I think Nikki punched about where I expect him to expected him to. Maybe a little bit better. Leon Camier definitely punched uh, above his weight on, class on a bike that really shouldn't. They have. really are, are sorting that bike out. Um, so, you know, full kudos to the Reparto Corsa team and MV Augusta on that front. Chaz Davies was unbelievable this season. Just, I think, um, just too many crashes, too many, too many little, yeah, you're not kidding. I'm looking at the results now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven wins. That's impressive. Chaz won the most. I think he won the most races. I, I think so, but he had three retirements. Now, with that said, Johnny Ray had two retirements and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine wins. You can't refute that. He's a badass. And, yeah, that's the thing, Johnny. Johnny showed how you win a championship, and he was just—he was just always a podium man. You know, he, he, he was only off the podium once when he didn't have a retirement. Right. Only once. Right. Everything Whereas else like, was seconds, thirds. Chaz had a couple where, you know, like, you know, he had a little issue, dropped yep. back in the standings, sure. didn't have a good day. And, 12, that, and that made the difference. Yeah, sure, yeah. Sure, sure. So that's, that's tough. Uh, I think it shows that Chaz is right there as a rider. Maybe he, he might have to take a little step, um, to, to take that next step to, to be like Jonathan Ray and, and competitiveness, but he definitely has the talent. He, he might not quite have the package there, um, but maybe that'll change for 2017. We'll see. They're definitely, I mean, that bike, 
that bike has had a lot of development years in it. It is fully sorted out. Yeah, sure. Uh, at this point. So, you know, it's, and they put a lot of money into it though, right? It is up. Let's put it this way. It is theirs for the taking. If they do not win the 2017 championship is because of their, their performance. Like, it's not like they're a step behind Kawasaki. It's not like they don't have a good enough rider. It's it, it will be their collective effort as a team that fails them. Is Giuliano still going to be? No. Who's Davide? Gonna... Yeah. Um, no, he uh, is he's... leaving the team, and I think he's going to British Superbikes. Don't quote me on that. That's just what's sticking to my head. You're thinking Marco Melandri's coming into the team. Oh, yeah. Right? Weird. Okay. Right? When I think of Marco Melandri, I just think of 250 Grand Prix and the spider-man bike he wore he wore a full spider-man suit thing with the bike that was all spider-maned out it was really trippy that was probably early 2000s that's all i can think of with melandry then him just kind of i don't know kind of being meh for a really long time he's a head case he's a head case. very yeah. talented rider but he's a bit of a head case i think davide i think he crashed one too many times and that's why he he kind of was on the outs i don't think we can talk about superbike and not talk about the cowies very impressive ride from Jonathan. Tom Sykes had a great season. I, I feel I feel like Johnny Ray has psyched out Tom Sykes. Because <laughs> yeah. um, Sykes this, was so strong and he was the man to beat. But well, yeah, and I was just I was having this conversation with with Steve English, who does the he's a good friend of mine and does some stories on AR, but he's also the World Superbike commentator. And so he's he's touching this on a more frequent basis than I am. And it just, you know, there was a lot of moments this season. Oh, this past season, I should say, where Tom was behind Johnny and could have made the pass and didn't. Like he he settled for seconds, and I think some of that just comes down to just the mind games and the psychological warfare. Because you know, Jonathan Ray isn't really like a shit stirrer, but he would poke a little no he'll little, and little little media holes on Tom and kind of bait him a little bit and talk about things and. I think some of that was just to kind of stir up some interest in the team and some controversy, but I think part of it too was just the mind game element of it. And I think I don't, I wouldn't say like it like got to Tom, but like you look at some of those races and you're like, you didn't pass them there. You didn't pass them here. You didn't second, second, second. Those could have been firsts. Not going to say that could have changed the championship, but it certainly would have made the points a lot closer, which would have been interesting. And if you're a lot closer going into the last couple rounds, Maybe that changes how you approach those rounds. Sure. So uh, I, I have big hopes for Superbike next year. Uh, I keep hoping that it's going to grow. We're going to see some weirdness with the Race 2 format, obviously. Swapping it up. They're going to be inverted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the top nine riders will see a little a quasi, or I should say a modified inversion. Uh, if you don't know what that means, look it up on Asphalt Rubber because it's it's a really complicated thing to explain over voice. It's easier with a diagram. And then also uh, look up Inverted Top Gun just so you can get his reference. Slash Keeping Up International Relations. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I have big hopes for the season. Uh, I think it'll be good. I just hope the fans show up because it's good racing, man. Yamaha is going to take the next step, I think. Oh, yeah. That's right. Aprilia is looking really strong because it'll be Mo- the Milwaukee team. Uh, Shamir Racing is working oh, really? with Aprilia. And they're going to... In World Superbike? Yeah. With Milwaukee? Uh, yeah. With the Milwaukee. Because uh, they didn't really have a lot of success with BMW. 
and Aprilia is looking like they're going to actually give them some good support. There's a lot of people that still talk about the RSV4 being the best bike sure. on the superbike grid. Understandable. And it's just it just comes down to resources, riders, and time, and team, and and it's Aprilia getting its shit together. No, no, no. I think that's the case where Aprilia got their shit together. It's just it's it's IOTA Racing versus you know IOTA Racing is a you know uh, a good racing team, but they were the third tier racing team of MotoGP. They're probably a second or third tier team in World Superbike. Mm. You know, they're not as bad as some, you know, yeah. but like, you know, you're not going to sit there and tell me like, that's like a full factory effort. It's yeah. not. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think I disagree with you. I think that is 100% Aprilia got their shit together and it's like the rest of the package just wasn't there. I, I mean, in the, there's a reason why those bikes aren't selling hot, like hotcakes. Well, that's, that, the that's a great shit. Michael Lock quote, right? You know, He's, I remember him talking about Ducati years. He's like, I'll be honest with you. Their product versus our product, theirs is better. We're outselling them 10 to 1. That's not a product issue. That's a marketing issue. Or that's a other things issue. Yeah. And we, we've had this yeah. conversation on the show before. Uh, RSV4, an amazing motorcycle. An yeah. amazing motorcycle. The fact that that bike is as old as it is and still as good as it is speaks volumes to how well they did. Uh, as a company building it this reminds me of uh, there was an example of this recently and it brought it up but it reminded me of the olympics i don't know i think we've talked about this but like when was it nbc that had the contract for the olympics this last go around i don't know i think it was but it doesn't really matter whoever when the when the tv companies have to make bids on who's going to get like exclusive rights to the olympics you know yeah. obviously they have to be like oh we're going to pay you this much and this is what we're going to do Part of what they have to submit, though, is how much resources they're going to throw behind it. And that's almost more important than how much they're bidding on for the rights. Because the Olympic Committee is like, hey, we don't care if you pay us like $100 million. We want to see you invest $100 million into promoting this, yeah. into showing this, yeah. into having, you know, top analyzing, uh, you know, graphics and, and, you know, commentators and all these things. Like we want to see, we were just as interested in the package that you're going to produce than the, the, you know, just the dollar sign amount of it. And I feel like that's a concept that companies don't understand sometimes. And I feel like that's kind of the thing with Aprilia. Like you came out with the best superbike in a long while, it's still extremely good. I would put it on my short list any day of the week. If one showed up in my garage, I'd be super stoked about it. It's a great bike, but you didn't put behind it the marketing effort that it needed. You didn't put behind it the support network that it needed. You didn't put behind it the dealer development that it needed. You didn't do all the other things that come along with something like that to make it succeed. And that's the, like you said, get your shit together kind of element of it. I wouldn't own one because I wouldn't try. I could not trust that. That if something did happen to it, not that gets like endemic, but if something did happen to it, I'm not going to, I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want to have to think about going to a dealer and dealing with the stupid parts and the lack of support from the service side and all this crap that I don't, I, I cannot recommend. If somebody said, dude, would you buy one of those things? I'm like, even if money were no, unless you can buy two. Yeah. Okay, so you you have your backup and you have to deal with that. I just I don't I don't see it as opposed to going and buying multiple other types of multiple other brands bikes. If you're going to go get a super bike, a twelve ninety nine, you know if something horrible happens, Ducati's going to take care of it. They're going to do it well, and the parts are going to arrive quickly, and et cetera, et cetera. But no, I think I think you bring up a really a good example because I wouldn't have bought that Hyper Motard that's in my garage if I didn't have Moto Corsa, a top level dealership. Yeah. in my area sure. it'd be the same thing and and it's one of those things like 
you know, I really wanted to get a Super Duke. Well, you know, up until recently, we didn't really have a strong KTM dealer in Portland. And I'm, you know, truth be told, like, I like the guys at CC, but I'm still waiting. To, the jury's yeah, still yeah, out sure, on what kind sure. of dealership they're going to be, you know, providing us for KTMs. Uh, yeah, but CC we have KTM being a new dealership. We in town, have a whole way. lot more faith now that you have a, a dealership that's going to be trying and vying for for that. They want the business. They want to do well. And you know it because you know how well they have done with other sure. things in the in the space, whether it be CC Cafe or the the One Show or whatever, Tor, uh, the guy that owns it. You know that. So we think about that, but you don't have that much I faith. Have, I have faith in that they're going to do it well. But, you know, I'm still waiting. The jury's still out. Yeah. Are you going to spend $13,000, right. $15,000 to figure that out? Right. Sure. And that's the same thing. And I think that's one of the, the hard parts. Like, well, I guess that's one of the advantages of the Japanese brands. Like, I don't have as many worries with the Japanese dealership. Because I don't really, I don't make big, big distinctions. And you don't them. have to worry about the bikes. Straight the up. Bikes, you don't have, that's true. That's absolutely true. Like, it's less of an issue. Like, I bought my R1. I didn't think twice about it. I, out of all the bikes I own, it has been the one I've ridden the hardest and put away the wettest. And it is the most reliable thing in my garage. Sure. Bar none. Bar none. For how much I neglect that bike, bar none, the most reliable bike that I own. Now, you know, there's a lot of bikes I would love to own. I'd love to have an F3800, an MV. Don't have an MV dealer in town. Don't have, I don't even know where I would go to get service. Like, Seattle. You know? It was a pain in the butt anytime I had when I was dealing with the used bikes. I We stopped. Yeah. We had to stop. Like if somebody said, hey, I've got an MV Gusto I want to trade in. Sorry, you're going to have to take that elsewhere. Not not making a deal. Because you need to have that dealer that supports you. Yeah, I need. I'm not going to. And that's an Italian company, or I should say, that's a company that doesn't have as strong of a support network in place on the ground in the U.S. I think, I think Aprilia's... Um, stigma on its on its parts supply and its delays and all that is leftovers from issues that they've had about a decade ago yeah sure my understanding is that that's actually not really the case anymore there you can get parts just as quickly as any of the other european brands now yeah but the stigma is still yeah, there sure and the dealer network is still sparse yeah, sure um you know when af1 is still probably your go-to place for any issue even if you're not in their territory it's horrible. Um, you know, this is this is a Texan dealership that has literally kept the brand alive in the U.S., I think, in a lot of ways. If I lived near them, I wouldn't think twice about getting an Aprilia. Yeah, sure. Wouldn't think twice because no, I know right. I'm getting – it's the same thing. Like, if I bought a Husky, we've got Bills down in Salem. It's one of the top dealers in the U.S. for, for Husqvarna. Wouldn't think twice about it now. Or if I lived out in yeah, yeah. Indianapolis near Halls. You know, when you have, like, some of these, like, magnet yeah, dealerships sure. that have just – soaked up a kind of like shout a shout out to hall cycles in springfield illinois right? those guys are awesome they, re uh, they rebuilt really, my motor i know because i was like dude <laughs> you need to go to these guys these are the remember yeah yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. They're, they're rad guys and they're, they're it's a cool thing to have this random in the middle of flyover country a good group of people that do well by that in that realm and this was a shop that was also a ducati shop i think they probably still are but i was a regional rep with them and it's cool to be able to know these little hot spots of good good shops out there. Please tell me you didn't not forget to press record or something. No, we're good. Okay. You just had that look on your face when you I looked know, at the recorder. I, I, I looked at the time and I was like, is that a three or an eight? <laughs> you know what it is? It's probably like a six, like where the kickstand ends, like down. Oh, Maybe. You, know what, you know what I wanted to talk about and we didn't? What's that? Did you kickstand see recalls? The kickstand Another recall? one? <laughs> it's, now it's just a joke. It's just like, hey... Ducati has another kickstand recall. <laughs> I, think, I think they do that just so they can get a mention That's on the show. That's right. We just, we just said Ducati multiple times. 
because they just recalled their kickstands. They're probably going to sell more bikes, even though they're going to have to repair more kickstands. Well, it's just a bolt, so it's like a cheapie. Whatever. It's yet another Ducati kickstand problem. <laughs> That's because... I can't I can't fault them, man, because their kickstands are up all the time because they're riding so much. <laughs> right? They're not sitting in a garage. Bank wheelies kickstands up, right? Bank so wheelies, so, bro. Right? So there's no reason to have a kickstand. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, and all Ducati owners can afford to have a paddock stand. So why would you even put it on a kickstand, right? Ugh. That was some hater hate. <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. You're going to end it on a down it's note? so sweet. Kickstand we down. We didn't even talk about MotoGP. That's okay. Okay. I think I think from a year end, things happened to MotoGP. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I think I think this was a that was a good wrap up show. And every, you're just you, the reason you don't want to talk about it is because it's Marquez. And you're just like, well, <laughs> it's going to be a good year. It will be. It's going to be a really good year. I'm looking forward this to was, this. Was a good. We we should at least give. I'm going to give half a breath to MotoGP because it would be yeah, unfair right. not you're to right. talk about GP you're right. You're right. when we had nine different yeah, guys win a race. What? How? That's was half the, the races. What was the last time any like there was more than even four people that I can't won a remember race. it. Can't remember it. Yep. Don't think it's. I don't think that's happened since. Can I we even name who it. they are? Uh, Jack Miller won one. Uh, Cal Crutchlow, uh, Lorenzo Marquez, Rossi. Um, did, did Pedrosa win one? Yeah. Pedrosa. So that's six. Who else won one? Oh, I, I can't. Uh, I can't do it unless we do it like in a systematic way. So you had Marquez, Danny. Lorenzo Rossi, uh, Miller, uh, Davi, oh yeah, Ianone, Maverick, Miller, Crutchlow. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking. And everyone it, was talking about whether or not Alish would be the the tenth. I was thinking about the. T- um, so it was all the factory guys. The, the Italian that won won last year, or no, he never did. It was, just came really close. It was like the. Can't remember his name. He's the the raddest dude, and he was in the press conference. He was super stoked to be on the podium, and he shouldn't have been there. I can't remember his name. He's a Ducati guy. Oh, he's one of the best riders out there, just because he's so. Dolly? No, no. This is he's he was either on the Octo team or one of the lower rung teams. Oh, Petrucci. Yeah, Petrucci. Danilo, yeah. He was just fucking rad. So he's a cool dude. Yeah. The fact that he I thought be a cop. Really? Yeah. We must have covered that. That's yeah. really cool. Well, he's just a really good dude, and I thought maybe he might have won one this year, but wow. No, no, no. Okay. Well, so that's amazing, and that's good for the, frankly, it's great for the sport that that happens. Um, yeah, for sure. Made it, made it super interesting. And then Crutchlow's la- late. Well, that's the thing. Crutchlow won two. Yeah, and he, his, his com- coming yeah. up makes you wonder, is he going to have that momentum? Because then he, then he went back to Crutchlow pretty quickly after that so will he be able to use that momentum coming into this coming year and is honda going to give him the support he needs to be able to do that yeah because he's still on the same team right yeah yeah, he's with lcr so if he is uh uh, in a good way mentally and the bike's good he might have potential to continue on with that momentum yeah that'd be rad where's dovi staying in place so he's staying in place and dovi is going to suzuki Maverick's going from Suzuki to Yamaha. Lorenzo's going from Yamaha to Ducati. Oh, yeah. This year's going to be rad. It's going to be a big mix-up for who to root for, for sure. And it's part of me that wants to root for Lorenzo, which is really horrible. Like, I can't believe I'm even saying that. But I kind of want to see him just just because it's good for the sport to do well. It would be. Right? Even though I want Rossi to beat him in the end. Right, it's still really good though. Okay, so here's 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 a fun thing. This was something I wanted to do before we before we signed off. I want to I want to hear you make a prediction right here right now. Will Valentino Rossi win a tenth championship? I don't think so. I don't think so either. 
I, I want him to. I've been saying that for years, though. Yeah. So at the end of last year, after all that turmoil and shittiness, where he he jumped the shark with his bullshit and and said all the things he did and created all the turmoil that he did. By the way, very big of you to be able to admit that. Yep. But before that, before all that bullshit, where he he was absolutely wrong about it. <clears throat> um, I really thought there was a chance, and if it didn't happen, it might happen this year. And he proved to be as amazingly good as he is to be able to be there almost through this year, yeah. but wavered, you know, not quite there. And I just don't, I think it was going to have to be last year or the, or the year before. I think that's it. I think it was 2015 was his year. Yep. And he knew he, it, which is why he was so profoundly fucked up by all yeah, that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he's on the Daniel Mall. He's on the on the downward slide. And now it doesn't mean that I don't think Lorenzo and Marquez are in bed to beat him up for sure. I still believe that wholeheartedly. But he's he handled that poorly in that year. And then we kind of generally forgot about it. This year was and what the the championship. There are up. some Rossi fans who have not forgotten about it. Oh, Let yeah. me tell you. Sure. I still can't post something about Rossi or Marquez and not have that whole thing flare up again. Whether it's on social media or if it's on the site. The hemorrhoid factor. The Rossi hemorrhoid factor. Well, you know, like we did a show, you know, talking about fans versus fanatics. Yep. And it's just they're Rossi fans. There's a lot of Rossi fans, and not all of them are motorcycle fans or yep. motorcycle racing fans. They are just there to. It's like Harley their Davidson fans gods. that aren't motorcycle. It's fans. like yeah, it's Harley Davidson riders who aren't motorcyclists. That's <laughs> that's kind of mean, but it's kind of a thing. Yep. So, um, I think with that, we can stamp this one closed. Okay. So, right. kick stands up. Good talk. See you out there. Can't believe it's been like 45 episodes or whatever with you. It's been a real joy. <laughs> I asked one of the... Oh, no, I can't talk about it. I'm not even going to talk about that on there. What? I can't. What? We're not gonna even going to... We're going to say it. Nope, say sorry. It. Nope. Say it. It's... Say it. Alta specific. Uh, say it. And I can't do it. Don't be a little bitch. Say it. No. Ugh. Yeah, sorry. You're just you're not only robbing our listeners, but you're robbing me. I know. I am robbing you. I'm sorry <sighs> for giving you... This is why my children aren't going to go to college. Blue Beeler balls. <laughs> Blogger balls. Blogger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Blogger balls. Is that what they call it? Because, you know, I have like this like close-knit group of bloggers that I talk to. Yeah, sure. And they're all, they all have a bad case of the blogger balls. <laughs> the last time I talked to a bunch of men that lived in their mom's basements, I was like in junior high. Yeah. Now, th- uh, that might have come out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Rephrasing. Are we the, not doing phrasing? In the junior high? Are we not doing phrasing? Um, you, do, uh, and I, you ended up going to a LAN party. I went to a LAN party. And it was called a LAN party, was it not? It was. It wasn't really a LAN party, though. We were mostly, well. You were not on a I local area network? I was not on a local area network. Um, other people were. I'm a little disturbed that you have a hoodie on. And I have a, a beanie on. Like it's a little it's cold. Winter. In here. It's things at sixty seven. You want me to turn it up? No. Okay. We can turn it up. I it's don't just care. funny that it's that cold that the ambient is just. I'm just putting the hoodie on because it just makes me feel. I don't need the hoodie for heat, but like I like. You, yeah. Like the, you, all day like long. I, when I come up here, you're in that. It's zone. my like cone of seclusion. Yeah. Um. It's the fuck off hoodie. Uh. There was something I was gonna say and I forgot. Oh, oh, heard a funny joke today. Yeah. So when you 
have sex with two other people. It's called a threesome. Mm-hmm. When two people have sex, it's called a twosome. So with that in mind, now I understand why everyone says that you're handsome. <laughs> That's good. I like that one. All right. Yeah. You'll be good. Handsome. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> He's a real handsome fella. <laughs> handsome and then some. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, 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 no.